well, welcome you back and grateful to be here this morning. Appreciate your prayers this week because we're probably going to have a baby by uh, probably by next time I see some of y'all on next Sunday. If not, it won't be long after that. So appreciate your prayers. Grateful for um, blessing of children. Um, before we get started, continuing our series through the journey through the Bible, let's pray together one more time. <clears throat> God, just thank you now for this opportunity to hear from you. And so, Lord, I just pray that whatever we came this morning bearing burdens, struggles, problems, joys, hopes, fears, anxieties, concerns, whatever they are, Lord, I pray that you would help us to look to you this morning, and I pray that you would speak to us this morning words of life, words of truth, words of grace and mercy and forgiveness and repentance and confession and life. I pray, oh God, that you would help us to see you for who you are, and that you would help us Lord, to see reality as it is and give us that eternal hope, God, that this world isn't the way that it's always will be, but a king is coming. He's going to make everything right. So I pray that we all have that hope this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, and uh, as we've said many times, the Bible is God's unfolding story. <laughs> God created the world, he created humanity, and in a very real sense, the earth was to be a theater on which the drama of his glory takes place, preeminently among his unique creatures, humanity, who of all the created order were made in his image, like God, to reflect and display his glory in the world. And sin broke the world. It broke us. It broke our relationship with the God who made us. And the Bible is God's unfolding story of what God is doing to restore his image bearers back to himself. And as we've said before, in the Old Testament, all of these things, uh, there's so many things in the Old Testament that point us to our need for a king. We've said that, God, that humanity was made in the image of God, and that when he created the first man and woman, he told them to have dominion over the earth. They were to rule, they were to reign, they were to create, they were to build society and culture in a god honoring way that displays his wisdom, his glory, and his goodness. And there's all kinds of pointers throughout the Bible. God told Abraham that through him all the families of the earth would be blessed, that kings would come from him. Uh, Jacob, before he died at the end of the book of Genesis, uh, gave a blessing to each of the 12 children, uh, each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and he said that the, the scepter would never depart from the tribe of Judah, that kings would come from them. 
And of course, uh, in King David, God made King David a promise that he would have a king which would, who would rule on his throne forever. In other words, do what? He would be who we were made to be. Kings, queens, there would be someone who would come who would truly exercise his dominion over all the earth. And I believe that the burden of Matthew, the burden of of Matthew is to tell us that Jesus is that king. Jesus is the one to make everything right. And so what we're going to do this morning is, is we're going to explore God's kingdom come in the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible and you're able and willing, I invite you to stand now in honor of the reading of God's Word. And we're going to just read a few verses from Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, that's Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word of God. You may be seated. (coughs) I want to see three things this morning from the book of Matthew. Number one, God's king has come in Christ. Number two, God's kingdom is inaugurated in Christ. And number three, God's kingdom is for all in Christ. So again, God's king has come in Christ. God's kingdom is inaugurated in Christ. And number three, God's kingdom is for all in Christ. So first, number one, God's king has come in Christ. I think it's quite clear if you read the book of Matthew, and maybe next time you read it, you'll think about it in these terms, is that Matthew has a great burden to display to his readers, particularly Jewish readers who would understand the Old Testament background, That Jesus is not just an ordinary person. He's not just uh, this uh, Jewish carpenter from Nazareth. But he came as the fulfillment of all that had been written. He is the king of the Jews. And not just of the Jews, Matthew wants us to know, but the king of the world. That is, this man, Jesus Christ, one day, every human being who has ever walked in this earth, including everyone in this room, you will, if he, if, he doesn't, if he doesn't come before you die, if he comes after you die, then you will be raised from the dead so that your knee can bow to him. Jesus is the king. And Matthew wants us to know that, and he does that in several ways in his book. For example, in many places, in several places in Matthew's book, he, he tells these stories and, and he, where, these, uh, where the, the people call Jesus a specific name, the son of David. For example, in Matthew 9, 27, it says, And Jesus passed from there, and two blind men 
followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. Matthew 15, 22. Behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. In Matthew 21, when the, it says, When the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. So we can't miss what Matthew is trying to tell us here, that Jesus is the son of David. Now, that might not mean a whole lot to us, but if you've followed uh, the storyline of the Bible so far, that son of David was a very loaded term. A Jew would understand what he meant. God promised David that he would have a son who would not just be the son of David, but God said he will be a son, he will be as a son to me. And he will sit on your throne forever. So the son of David was an extremely loaded term. By calling Jesus, the son of David, these people were making a very clear claim. Jesus is the one. He is the king of the world. It's interesting, too, in another story in Matthew 22, this is what it says. It says, now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. There's a lot we could say about that passage, but the point is this. That everyone knew who the son of David was. He was the Christ. And in the, in the passages that I read, who called Jesus the son of David? Blind men? A Canaanite woman? Not a Jewish woman, a Canaanite woman. And children. And who didn't know that Jesus was the son of David? The Pharisees. The religious leaders. What's Matthew trying to say? He's trying to say this, that the king has come and the very ones who should know the most who he is, they don't know him. They don't recognize him. So the question is this, who do you say that he is? Who is Jesus to you? That is the most important question I think that can be asked. Because Jesus, the Bible, makes some very unbelievable claims about the man Jesus Christ. And if he is who the Bible says he is, then you cannot be indifferent to Jesus Christ. When a king enters the room, to not bow the knee is to rebel against him. Who is Jesus? Is he who he said he is? And if he is, what are you going to do about it? He is the king. How do we know that Jesus is the king? Matthew is very careful to tell us in many ways if we're willing to listen. 
Matthew chapter 8. He is the king because Jesus controls nature. And behold, there was a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? What a great question. What sort of man is this that the wind and the sea obeys him? You see, I think sometimes we have a problem, especially in the southern culture, because some of us grew up going to Sunday school, and we think, we think Bible stories are like Aesop's fables. But that is not at all the intention of the Bible. They wrote this book clearly making cases saying this is historical fact. A man once spoke to a storm and it listened to him. And he's coming back. Think about it. Be wise. Trust this king and follow him before it's too late. He controls nature. He's the king of nature. Next, he forgives sins, Matthew 9. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God who had given such authority. To men. You have to understand, they, un they understood what Jesus was, was doing when he claimed to forgive sin. Who can forgive sin? Only God can forgive sin. And yet here's this man walking on two feet, living, breathing, eating man. And he looks a man in the eye and he says, my child, your sins are forgiven. I thank God Jesus Christ can forgive sin. And they were skeptical about it. Who, who are you to say you can forgive sin? He said, I'm going to show you. Rise and walk. And he did. Jesus is the king of all. He can forgive sin. Not only that, but the Bible says that he is Lord of the Sabbath. Matthew 12, 8, Jesus said, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Might not seem like a big deal to us, but the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. And it was a big deal to the Jews about how you observe the Sabbath. They had all these kinds of rules. You could only walk so far. 
You can only carry certain types of things. You can only do certain kinds of things. And Jesus and his disciples sometimes did things that they thought was violating the Sabbath. And Jesus just looks them in the eye and says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. What does that mean? (laughs) It means I'm the one who gave you the Sabbath. The Sabbath is mine. It belongs to me. In other words, when you worship on the Sabbath, what are you doing? You're worshiping me. Finally, he's the, he's the king because he's the judge of the world. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. It's going to happen. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that's going to happen? If you believe that that's going to happen, that will change the way you live. If, you, if your life has never been changed by Jesus Christ, then let me tell you something, you don't believe that. Jesus is the king. He's going to render to each one what he deserves. Why? How can he do that? How can he perfectly judge everyone? Because he knows everything, including the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And everything that everyone did in secret that they thought they got away with, they won't get away with it. How can we be spared then on the, how can we be, how can we dare hope to stand then before him on the last day? Come to him and ask for forgiveness today and enter into his kingdom and join forces with the king so that when he comes, you'll be on his side because you don't want to be found against him on the last day. Jesus, we see, is the king. He's not just a man. He is the man. He is what humanity was supposed to be all along. He is, the Bible call it says, the second Adam. He is the head of a new race, a new humanity, a new people being recreated, the Bible says, in the likeness and the image of God. That's why, the, that's why Paul says everyone who believes in him is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. By the spirit of God, you become a new person so that you can live in the new kingdom. And Jesus came and he, and he changed the way we look at the world. And he took 12 ordinary men and poured out his spirit upon them and said, go change the world. And they did. That's why we're standing here 2,000 years later proclaiming that a man has risen from the dead. <coughs> and we get to be part of that same story. So number one, God's king has come in Christ. Number two, God's kingdom is inaugurated in Christ. God's kingdom is inaugurated in Christ. Inaugurate sounds like a fancy word, but really all it means is to begin or to start. You know, presidents have inaugural addresses when they're first installed. Baseball games have first pitches. And football games have kickoffs. Basketball games have tip-offs. They have beginnings. Well, the kingdom of God had a beginning too. 
It had its kickoff, its first pitch, its tip-off, its, its inauguration in the coming of Jesus Christ. And the reason why we use that language of inauguration is because it, it tells us something important. It tells us that God's kingdom got started in Christ, but it is not yet completed. It is not yet finished. The game has begun, but it's not over yet. The devil can't win, but there's still time left in the game. And he's still going to fight and drag to hell everyone he can with him. The battle still rages even though we know who's going to win. And so that's how, we, that's how we have to think about the kingdom. That's the way the Bible presents it. It has started, but it, is not, it has been inaugurated, but it has not been consummated. It is not yet complete. It is not yet perfected. And this is important because the Jews believed, and that's why, many of the, that's why the Jews to this day don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, because they misunderstood the nature of the kingdom. The Jews believed that when the Christ came, it would be immediate, that he would set up his king, his earthly reign immediately, and that the Jewish nation would become the greatest nation on the earth and have all the other nations under their thumb. They thought it would happen immediately and right then. In fact, in the book of Acts, before Jesus ascended into heaven, this is, this is what the disciples asked him. It said, when they, came, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. You see that? They thought that it was going to happen all at once. And Jesus said, it's not the time and it's not for you to know when the time is. But we do know this, that there is a time when it's coming. You see, what did Jesus do? He turned, he turned the Jewish understanding and expectation of the kingdom on its head. And he didn't just do it in, in, in the way of time, but he did it in just about every human way possible. Think about, think about what, what the, the teaching of Jesus on the kingdom. Think about the kind of man that Jesus was when he lived here on earth. What kind of cosmic king is homeless on the earth? What kind of cosmic king gets nailed to a cross by his own creatures? What kind of cosmic king... What kind of king at all comes not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many? That's what it says. Jesus turns our expectations of the kingdom on its head. Consider the uh, Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Blessed are the rich in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are overflowing with joy, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the arrogant, for they shall inherit the earth. Right? Poor in spirit, 
mourn, meek. You see, to this very day, people believe that if you're going to get ahead in life, you're going to have to step on other people to do it. You're going to have to assert yourself. You're going to have to, God forbid, you have to serve somebody else. You should be serving me. Jesus says, Jesus says that's not how the kingdom works. That's not how it works. That's not how the kingdom of God works. You want to be great, not just for a few fleeting years. You want to be great forever? Make yourself nothing. Think little about yourself. Care about others. Give generously to those who are in need. Give your life and yourself and your all in service to others, meeting the needs of those who don't have it, and proclaiming the kingdom of God and making Christ uh, known in the world. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Then be low in the eyes of the world. Jesus said, Matthew 23, the greatest among you shall be your servant. (coughs) Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You want to be great for God. You want to be great in this world. Make yourself nothing. Become little. Think little about yourself. Think much about God. Think much of others. Don't don't exalt yourself. Don't demand your own way. And guess what? When Jesus comes, you will be vindicated. And you will be raised up for all to see. Jesus, he defied expectations about the way, in a similar way, not just the nature of the kingdom, but the expectations of the kingdom, of the way the kingdom would be fulfilled. The establishment and growth of the kingdom would not be automatic, immediate, or manifestly magnificent, as we discussed, or powerful from an earthly perspective. The Christ coming into the world and establishing his kingdom would be less like staging a coup and more like planting a garden. That's what Jesus taught in Matthew 13. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make their nest in its branches. And he told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. The Jews thought that, that the kingdom of heaven would come with great force and with, with slain enemies all around. And Jesus said, no. The kingdom of heaven is upon you and it's like a seed being planted in the ground. In other words, the kingdom of heaven comes slowly and it infiltrates the world. It's like those crazy people who decide to bring kudzu over here, okay? And you just turn your back and it's covering everything. You don't, 
you, if you look at it closely, it, it seems like it's not growing, but you come back and it has taken over everything. That's the kingdom of God. 2,000 years have occurred since the coming of Christ. And they were wondering, where is he? Where's the Christ? Well, look at where he is. Hundreds of thousands of believers of, in Christ in China. In India, in Africa, in South America. Infiltrating the world. People who call on the Lord. For all over the world, it's growing. The kingdom of God is growing and it's spreading. And let me tell you something, the devil don't like it. That's why he's so angry. Do you feel it? In this world, he's so angry. I believe he's beginning to clench his fist. Things will get worse before they get better. But if you're on the winning side, let me tell you something, you have nothing to fear. Do not fear him who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. But if you're already forgiven of your sin, you have nothing to fear. He's in control. So what the Bible actually teaches is that these two kingdoms, as we said before, in this world is a continual battle, as we said last week, between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. And Jesus taught the same thing in Matthew 13. He says he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then, what do you want us, uh, do, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Jesus taught that this is what the kingdom is like. It is good seed that is sown, but it grows up with the weeds. But there will be a day when the good is separated from the bad, when the weed is separated from the weeds. What's the difference between the two? It's, the difference is not that one sins and the other doesn't. The difference is that one's sins are forgiven and the others aren't. Because they have turned in repentance and confession and humility and meekness to Jesus Christ, the King, saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, O King, I'm a sinner. And he does have mercy and forgives and welcomes into his family and his kingdom. The judgment day is coming, but now the time being, Jesus says, we wait. Jesus will one day return to establish fully and finally his kingdom forever. But in the time being, we wait. We wait. We don't like to wait. Americans don't like to wait. Two-day Amazon shipping is too slow. So they got to have droids to fly, drones to fly them out to our house and drop them on our front door. It's happening. 
Right now, I don't know if you saw the news about that. And guess what? Those drones are probably watching everything you do, too. We don't like to wait, but we wait. How is your waiting going? Is it going well for you? How's it going? What do we do? We wait. Now, our waiting is what? Our waiting is not just sitting there wrapping our knuckles on the table. Jesus says our waiting is working, right? Remember the parable of the stewards. He gave the stewards various amounts. And he said, I will come back and you will give an account of your stewardship to me. And so what were they to be doing while they waited for their master to return? They were to be working for their master's interests. They were to be serving their master's purposes so that when he came, they would be able to say, look, master, look at all that you gave me. It has made much more. And he will say to to that servant, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in little. I will set you over much. That's the kingdom. That's the reward. You make yourself a servant in this world, you become a king in the next. So how's your waiting going? How are you doing? How are you serving? If Jesus came back today, what kind of commendation would he give you? Would it be well done? And if not, why not? And if not, what are you going to do about it? I I ask because I'm your pastor and because I care. Because, you know what, one of the things that I'm going to give an account for is when Jesus comes to me, he's going to say, why didn't, what about so-and-so? They were in your church. They sat right there. What did you do about them? Did you tell them the truth? Did you help them do what they knew was right to do? That's part of my account. What's part of yours? And will it be, will we be faithful on the last day? We have to be faithful. We have to take all that God has given us and use it for him. That's why I'm really encouraging this, this who's your one. Because it's just a simple, easy way. Just pray for this one person. Reach out for this one. It's one way that we can be faithful on the last day. It's one way that I can look God, look Jesus Christ in the eye with a clear conscience and say, Jesus, I worked for you. Yeah, I prayed for this one and you gave me this one and I, I prayed for them and I reached out to them and I sought them for you. It's one way to look Jesus in the eye and say, Lord, I've been faithful. Are we redeeming or waiting or are we wasting it? God's kingdom has come in Christ. God's kingdom has been inaugurated in Christ and one day it will be fulfilled. And that'll be a glorious day. All the sin in the world will be wiped away, including our sin. You'll never have to fight another sin ever again. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We'll be made new. God's kingdom, God's king has come in Christ. God's kingdom is inaugurated in Christ. And finally, God's kingdom is for all in Christ. God's kingdom is for all in Christ. You know, many people today need to hear that Jesus loves them. 
They need to hear it. They think nobody loves them. They need to hear that Jesus loves them. I'm afraid there's a lot of people today, too, as well, however, that when you tell them Jesus loves them, deep down in their mind, they think, well, of course he loves me. That's what he does. He's Jesus. It's easy to take the love of others for granted. You ever notice that? It's easy to take love for granted. And it's hard for us <coughs> as Gentiles to understand, as non-Jews to understand, how incredibly unbelievable and amazing and gracious it is that we can be saved. Because if you read your Bible carefully, you'll discover that it wasn't at, at all always clear that we Gentiles could be saved. Think about it. We've walked through the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, God worked the entire time through one nation, the Jews. And remember, in the Old Covenant, he explicitly commanded the Jews to do what? Not mix with the Gentiles. We were out. To get in on the promises of God in the Old Covenant, you had to become a Jew. It wasn't at all clear that we Gentiles, those who are far off from God, were going to be able to have access to the promises of God that he made in the Old Testament to the Jews. I mean, think about it. Come on. It's easy to miss if you don't think about it. The, the whole, the Acts and most of Paul's writings are dealing primarily with this issue. How is it that non-Jews can be saved? In the book of Acts, they had to have an entire, entire church council about how is it that non-Jews could be welcomed into the family of God. You remember that? You remember when Peter was on the roof and he was hungry? And God had to show him the same vision three times to do what? What do you have to do? You remember? He had to tell him the same vision three times just to get him to go to a Gentile's house. You remember that? God had to tell the apostle Peter, the founder, one of the founders of the church, he had to tell him in a direct revelation from God to go into one of our houses. And remember when he goes back to Jerusalem and reports what happened? People, people grumbled against him saying he went and ate with Gentiles. It wasn't at all clear that Gentiles could be saved. But praise God that we can be. Jesus came for us all. <coughs> and there's pointers to this all in the book of Matthew. And Matthew, if we read him carefully, he's, he's showing us how that is the case. Just think about the, the surrounding Jesus' birth. Shortly after Jesus was born, these, these wise men, these magi, they were really like kings. They come to Jerusalem and they say, we've heard that the king of the Jews has been born. And you remember what it says? It says that the whole city was upset about the news. You see, 
the Jews were upset about the news of their king coming, but the Gentile magi were overjoyed. And they're the ones who goes and finds him and worships him. And of course, it becomes very clear at the end of Matthew where Jesus says this, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, uh, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. It is no small thing that Gentiles could be saved. But yet here we are. Jesus came for us all. And he told his disciples to go to everyone without exception, indiscriminately, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that a king has come and he's coming back. And he lived a life without sin and he paid the penalty for sin on the cross for all who would turn from themselves, turn from having from themselves being seated on the throne of their lives so that they just do what they want to do. Have them turn and allow Jesus the King to have the rightful place on the throne of their hearts. Who bow the knee, who bow their hearts to King Jesus and follow him and live for his kingdom. Everyone who joyfully, gladly surrenders to the King has a place, an eternal inheritance, a home prepared for them by Jesus Christ himself, which he shall bring down from glory when he comes to raise the dead, judge the world, and set up his kingdom forever. And so my question is this, do you know the king? Do you know him? Have you surrendered your life to him? And if not, why not? And when are you going to do it? The kingdom is coming. If, it, if, the, if the sky doesn't split open this afternoon, it's a mercy of God for those who have tarried. But we don't know, folks. In any moment, anything could happen to any one of us, and we could be sent directly into the presence of God. And it'll be too late. But I hope for better things. I hope, I hope for everybody in this room that when the king comes and, I f- and we fly out of the dirt, I'm going to high-five you in the air. Amen. Amen. And we'll be with our king forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you.